Well, Merry Christmas to everybody. This Christmas Eve, as we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you know, as we, we think about Christmas, and, and I mean, all the, the fun and, and everything that we have, I mean, there, and, and it should all happen. You know, family and gifts and, and funny movies and just everything and, you know, cooking adventures that we have, you know, whether successful or not, we, we, we gave it to try, we, we went for it. Uh, I think it's fitting that this time should be set apart and, and just be different than the rest of the year. And at the core, the reason why is because to, today, tomorrow, the season is a celebration of God's grace. Grace. Now, what is grace? It's a word. It's, it's in our name as a church. You know, grace, family, fellowship. What does grace mean? We talk about it all the time. It's all through the New Testament, the grace of God. Well, grace is the unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God in our lives. In simpler terms, it's God liking us when he didn't have to. When he had no reason to outside of he loves us and he wants to love us. And even though we rebelled against him, he still loved us. He chose to love us instead of want to destroy us and therefore created a way for us to go back to him. Even though we had separated ourselves from him, he created a way for us to come back. And that is grace. And our theme this entire year has been reaching. And our theme in this series, uh, of course, has been reaching for hope. And today we're going to talk about the hope of grace. Because it's that which should give us hope above everything else. When we really understand God's grace, it is that, that, that truth that kind of trumps everything else, that, that just stands above everything else for us that should give us a sense of hope in what God has done, in who he is in, in the truth of the gospel. Because grace is something that we cannot make happen. It has to be given. Grace that is earned is no grace at all. Grace that is conditional on actions is no grace at all. We either embrace the truth of grace or we stand outside of it. And the, the great thing about this is the closer we get to grace, the more we understand the truth of it, the more it sets us free. And when I say free, I mean it sets us free from the need to perform. It sets us free from condemnation. It sets us free from shame and guilt. It sets us free from self-righteousness and the belief that somehow we stand above somebody else. You see, grace is that great equalizer and the, the great empowering of God all at once. It will level the proud and it will elevate the humble. And so if, if this Christmas season, if we can't find hope in grace, we're, we're not paying attention. Because God's grace is this amazing, wonderful, inexhaustible presence in our lives. If we'll let it be. 
You see, there's a reason in Hebrews that the Hebrew author wrote, make sure that nobody misses the grace of God. See to it that nobody misses the grace of God. And so this morning, this Christmas, nobody will be able to leave this room today having missed the grace of God. And so I want you to look with me this morning in Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. And he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and a hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, the first thing we've got to see, and the first thing that, that every Christian needs to be able to testify to and, and lock down in their heart as, as firmly as they can is that grace saved us. Grace saved us. You see, Paul starts with that as he's going to discuss this grace in, in the life, the, the Christian life. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So let me ask you this question today. In the deepest places of your heart and mind, do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God? If the judgment happened 10 seconds from now, and you are standing exposed, fully, fully known, before the throne of God, will you have peace with God or shame? Because you know you can have peace. You see, Paul, for, for Paul, this is the biggest issue at hand. He says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. So if you came face to face with the holy, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God, would you shrink in fear or would you be at peace with him and rejoice at being in his presence? This is the question for all of humanity. At the end of the day, this is the question that will matter, and it's the only one. There is no other question that God's going to ask that's going to matter. There is no other thing in life, no other accomplishment, no other level of anything that's going to matter other than this. One day we will face a judgment and we have to know now whether or not we have peace with him. Because, friend, let me tell you this. If you wait until then to see if you have peace, that's going to be a bad day for you. Okay, that, that's not going to be, you're not going to have peace. You will shrink in fear and shame. You see, listen to what John says in 1 John 2, 28. He says, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears, now he's referencing judgment, when he appears, we may have confidence 
and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. You see, John is already looking at the life that we live right now, and he's looking ahead, saying, where you are right now, if Jesus were to appear at this very moment, would you be at peace with him? Or would you shrink in fear and shame? To, meet, to, to have peace with God means that we can confidently enter into his presence, and he into ours, without shame. Now think of this, Adam and Eve hid in shame at God's presence after they sinned. They did not have peace with God after they ate of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. They hid from themselves, they hid from each other, and they hid from God. And when they heard his voice, when they heard him coming in the cool of the day, what did they hid themselves from him? See, they shrank in fear at the coming of their God who created them and loved them. And prior to that sin, they conversed. God appeared and they conversed with him and there was peace and there was wholeness and there was acceptance and there was no fear and no shame. But as soon as sin entered the picture, they hid themselves. And too many people today, that's exactly what they're doing, is they are trying to hide themselves from God. They're trying to hide themselves from themselves. They're trying to hide from others. They're trying to hide everything that they can because of shame. Because that's what sin does. It brings shame. And we try to hide that shame. We try to cover it. We try to pretend it's not there. We, we try to distract from it. The only problem is that when we are in God's presence, everything is exposed. Nothing is hidden. God knows and sees all. And so, do you have peace with God? You see, to have peace with God is to be like Queen Esther, who was willing to put her life completely in the hands of her king when entering into her presence, in, in, into his presence. Would you feel safe entering into the throne room of God? Do you have peace with God? Now we see Esther and we see that that was a, a move of faith in which she might die. She doesn't know how that's going to go. But here's the thing is God has told us straight out. All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. None who come to me will I cast out. See, God has opened the doors to his throne room, and he has bid everybody come. But we have to come on his terms. He does have some terms for entering his throne room. But you know what? He made it as easy as it could possibly be. He did. He, he didn't give us advanced calculus and tell us to solve this, and then you can enter he didn't have a list of sins that if you've committed these, you can't go in, but the rest are acceptable. He didn't do that. What he did was say, you must trust and believe in the one I have sent. And that's why Paul says we are justified by faith. See, that word justified is a legal term in the book of Romans. And to, to really boil it down, it means to be declared not guilty. So can you go before the judge if you know that there are no charges pending against you? Would you have fear of the judge if you know? And my record's clean. 
And this judge is holy and good, so he will never get it wrong. His judgments are always perfect. And he has told me the case has been dismissed. And so you can have no fear. But we must be justified by faith. And so ask yourself this question. If I don't feel like I have the kind of peace with God that leads me to trust him with my life, what is keeping me from it? What is keeping you from that kind of peace? See, the good news is that God wants peace with us. Did you know that? He wants you to have peace with him. God is not at odds with us. For some people, that, that's surprising. They're like, wait a minute, I, I get this picture of God as this angry old man up there that's ready to strike people that are mean and, and bad, and, and if you don't watch out, he's going to get you. But you know what? God says, I want peace. And you know how I know that? Because of the season we're celebrating right now. The good news is that God wants peace with us, and it was declared on the day of Jesus' birth. In Luke 2, 12 through 14, it says, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And what? And on the earth, peace. Peace. God is saying, what I'm doing here is for peace with you. This isn't so that I can, I can say I told you so or, 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 or dredge up the worst part of your life and, and you know, throw it in your face and make you feel guilty and shameful. He says, this is what? And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And how do we get peace? How is God pleased with us? Faith. Believe in the one whom he has sent. See, Paul says we are justified by faith and not works, but faith alone. And it's this, Romans 10, 9, and 10. Many of you know this, but you need to hear it again because it's good to stir us up by way of reminder that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It can't get any clearer or plainer than that. And he says, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You know what I love about that verse? There's nothing in there about, you know, some 19-step program to a better you. There, there is nothing in there about when you attain to this level, then I'll talk to you. This is really only for those really cool people or good people or smart people or, or mystical people. What does he say? He says... Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you will be saved. Amen. That's it. You see, the gospel could not be any plainer or simpler. And this is God saying, I want peace with you. I want peace with you. I want you with me for all eternity. And I will do everything necessary to make that happen. I will give my son. I will give you of my spirit. I will give you my word. I will give you my church and I will give you my promise of the future that I will remember your sins no more. But we must come to him. And so salvation is when hope becomes real. It is. This, this, this salvation by grace, that, that we are saved by grace through faith, 
That's when hope becomes real because suddenly we are freed from looking at ourselves. We're freed from needing to feel like we're in control. We're freed from the need to perform and feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting there, God. I just, you know, a little bit longer and I'll, I'll be there. Anybody in here ever gotten tired of trying to arrive in your Christian life? Yeah. You can't. But the good news is God didn't call you to. He didn't say, okay, get saved and then achieve a certain level of, of, of maturity before you can get to heaven. You know what he said? Believe. Just believe. Confess and believe in your heart and you will be saved. That's enough. And so hope becomes real and grace brings hopes and then it starts us in a new life where everything works for the good of those who love him. You see, grace is just the beginning. But we never outgrow grace. We never leave grace behind. We never look at grace as a starting point where then we somehow got to take the wheel or take the reins somewhere down the road because now I've got it together. No. We look at grace then and understand that grace grows us. Not only does grace save us, grace grows us. The same grace that saved you when you were at your worst is the same grace that's going to grow you and create you in the image, recreate you in the image of God, in the image of His Son. Same grace, same faith, nothing changed. You see, grace starts us on the journey of faith. It's like God says, I, I know you can't do this. And so as the, the imagery of the Psalms, he reaches into the miry pit and he pulls us out. And his grace, he cleans us off. And then his grace carries us and he puts us on the path. And he says, now just start walking. Just go this direction. You say, but I want to go this way. And grace says, no, 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 stay on the path. Stay here. And then when we insist and we get off the path and we trip and fall and we skin our knee and we skin our elbows and we're crying for daddy and we're, we're hurt, grace says, it's okay, I got you. I will, I will walk off the path here and get you and bring you back to the path and put you on it and tell you, this is why I told you not to get off the path because you're just going to hurt yourself. Now just walk with me and I got you. See, grace is there every step of the way because grace, then, when we understand it that way, grace brings hope to everything. You ever think about that? Grace brings hope to literally everything. Grace brings hope and purpose to literally everything in your life. And that's why Paul is able to say this, okay? I know sometimes this sounds strange, what Paul says here, because we're like, why would I rejoice in suffering? But listen to what he says. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Now, why does it do that? Because the grace and the Spirit of God within us. On our own, suffering does not produce endurance. You see, this is where we get this messed up because we act like this is a normal process. This is not. This is a supernatural process. This is, is God working within us. This is what the Holy Spirit and grace do within us. You see, on our own, in a broken, sinful mind, 
What does suffering produce? Bitterness. Anger. It, it just does. That, that brokenness. More hurt. We, we, we don't know what to do with it. But God does something with it. And that's what Paul says. Not only are we saved. Not only do we stand in this grace. He's letting us know that this other side of things now is in play. In which even in the bad times. Even in the, 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 the horrible things that happen in this world. He says even in that. God is at work. And he will use it for good. And let me tell you this. Truly believing, not just saying it, but truly believing that God is going to take the absolute low points of our life, okay, the, 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 the trouble, the struggle, the death, the, the suffering, the hurt, and take all of that and redeem it into something, that's hope. See, what Paul is telling us is that God isn't going to waste any of it. See, grace doesn't say you'll never have trouble again. What does he say? He says, I'll redeem that trouble. I will use that trouble. I will get you through that trouble. I will carry you through it. My grace will be sufficient for you. And so then we are able to find hope in the middle of difficulty. Something the world knows nothing about. The world gets bitter, angry, violent, or despair, despondent. That's what the world does. We, he says, we can even rejoice when things are bad. Because of the hope that we live in. That God is going to do something with it. You see, we never move beyond salvation and grace. But we do grow drawing from the very foundation of grace for new life in every respect. God will waste nothing. Nothing. How does that affect you to really think about that? Take the, 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 the most painful thing that's ever happened in your life to know God will use that for something. He will turn that around somehow. I, I can't tell you how. This is beyond us. Okay? And, and there, I, I know I've talked to people before that said, that better, that's going to have to be some pretty good stuff. The, the low hits such a low that for me to be able to rejoice in myself, that's going to have to reach some pretty, pretty soaring heights. And you know what I tell them? I say, yeah. That's why Paul said, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has stored for those who love him. We can't understand it, but it will happen. And so Paul tells us that there will be this work that goes on in our lives even when we're down. His grace is going to redeem and use everything in this life to grow us into the people who serve his kingdom and glorify him for all eternity. So Paul chooses to show us how God will even use our suffering in life. We can know that at all times God is working in us, for us, and through us. At all times. Now does that give you some purpose in life? Some hope? That you know what, even when I blow it, God took that into account in his grace and said, I got you. Don't worry, I got you. 
God's shoulders are strong enough. God's will is unbreakable enough that none of us is going to derail it. And when we submit to him, even though it may not feel like it, hope is there. And hope is found in God's truth, not in our feelings. Amen? So what does Paul say? He says we rejoice in suffering, not for suffering's sake, but for the outcome we can be assured God will bring from it. You see, if one thing that God is always wanting us to do is to look beyond the moment. Look beyond the moment. Even Jesus did this. While Jesus was teaching, he said, you know, the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for me. He was looking beyond just then. He knew what was coming. And he knew on the other side. We read in the book of Hebrews that, you know, even though for the, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He was looking beyond the cross to what it was going to accomplish. And we have to learn to do that too. And so Paul is showing us how. He, he says that the outcome will be assured. He says suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. Now, some of you in here know exactly what I'm talking about. Suffering can change you. It will change you. What he is saying is that with God involved, that change will always ultimately move towards a positive. Always. Not fun in the process. Okay? I am not belittling or making light of the word suffering here. What I'm saying is that it will always be worth it. It won't be wasted. And here's something else. God will not make you suffer more than is necessary to accomplish his purposes. Now, I know some people may be going, I got some pretty big purposes now. Man, I can't wait to see that. But you know what? I mean it. And you know how I know that? Because not even the suffering of Jesus on the cross went beyond what it needed to. You know how I know that? Not one bone was broken. It says not one bone would be broken. Why? Because it wasn't necessary. As agonizing as a cross and crucifixion were, it was made even worse when they had to break their legs and start breaking bones so that they would die. And you know what the prophecy said? Not one bone would be broken, and it wasn't broken on Jesus. Not one bone. You know why? Because that suffering was not necessary. And so it didn't happen. God will not make you go through needless, pointless suffering in life. He will redeem and use all of it. And how do we then learn to accept it and, and look through it? Well, one, we have hope because God will have the last word on everything. Everything, including your suffering. And what is that last word? Listen to what Paul says in Romans 8, 18 through 25. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Now that, that statement alone right there should give everybody hope. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. What Paul's saying here is, he says, yes, I want to get to heaven. He is suffering. He has experienced incredible suffering. He is serving God has not made his life better. It has been extremely difficult. He has despaired at different times. He's been arrested. He's been beaten. He's been flogged. He's been stoned. He's been hungry. He's been cold. He's been shipwrecked. And yet, what does he say? He says, for we know that the whole creation, he says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, but who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait for the adoption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. In short, Paul says what's coming will be better than what is. What's coming will be better than what is. And that's where my hope is. And I know it's true because God has poured his spirit into my life because Jesus died on the cross for me and was resurrected. So he has the power over death. He has the power over sin. And so whatever I'm experiencing, he is Lord of it. That's it. He's Lord of it. And so in the present broken world, we experience joy and sorrow, life and death, and God is redeeming all of it. So even though we have to experience suffering now, it's not worthy to be compared to what God is going to do with it. Those of you that have suffered greatly, you will be rewarded greatly. And Paul says it won't even work on the scale. It's going to be so out of balance with what God is going to do that he says it's not even worth comparing what has happened. That is the promise of God. That is the hope that we have in grace. God promises to use everything for good. Through grace, we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so look again at this process. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing. See, it's this knowledge of what's going to happen. It's not rejoicing and saying, yay, I'm suffering. It's knowing what's going to happen with it is this suffering produces endurance And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. We will learn to trust and hope in God even more than we do now. And it's all a battle of the mind and heart. When we walk with Christ, God guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 4 through 7 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, I want to pause. He didn't say be happy always. And let's not confuse the two words. I've known people that felt like this said be happy all the time. And so what did they do? They tried to fake it. They, They faked it. They literally did. It was they were... Everything was always a blessing and everything was always amazing and God is always so good and and you know they're suffering. You know that they're struggling. You know their life is not together right now and you're like, just be honest. Come on. But they're like, well, but the the Bible tells me to rejoice always and so they're, they're literally not living in the moment because they think that God is telling them you have to be happy all the time or you're not following me. That's not what he says. 
He says, rejoice in the Lord. You know what that means? Don't let this world define reality for you. Rejoice in the Lord, not in your circumstances. If we rejoice in the Lord, then when circumstances are good, we won't take credit for it and get too high on ourselves. And when circumstances are bad, we get to say, oh, but he's Lord over it. And he's in control. And this doesn't get the last say. And what is that? That is living with hope. That is learning to live with hope in all circumstances. This is not have positive feelings all the time. So if somebody in here is struggling with that and you've wondered and you feel bad when you feel bad and you, you beat yourself up because I know it says rejoice in the Lord always, but I don't feel like rejoicing right now. It's not talking about having wonderful feelings all the time. Okay? And then he goes on. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He's not going to abandon you in the middle of this. Now remember, Paul is writing this from prison. So he knows a thing or two about this. He says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. He talks about a life in which we are dependent on God, where we trust God in everything, where we trust him in difficult circumstances. We say, okay, God, this I'm, I'm, I'm worrying about this. So I'm going to bring it to you, and I'm going to trust that even if I have to suffer, hey, suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So, I, God, I know you got this. I know you're taking it somewhere good, so help me to see that and to live by it. Thank you that you're always with me. And you see, that's not a phony prayer. That's not, that's not praying for unreasonable things. What it says, let your reasonableness be known to all. That means that you live in reality. That means that you're able to admit circumstances are bad when they're bad. That means you're able to admit, you know, hey, things are good, but I'm not really sure I had anything to do with it. I think this is God's blessing, and, and I, I'm thankful for it. You see, it, it makes us reasonable. And he says then the result of this life, living like this, he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when I ask, do you have peace with God? That's what I mean. Do you have this peace with God that even when times are bad, you can get through it? You are strong enough in your faith to weep when you need to weep. You are strong enough in your faith to rejoice and give thanks when things are good and admit, God, you've done some good things here and I just want to tell you thank you because I'm really enjoying this right now. Do you have that peace with God to trust him with every step? Because if you do, what it says that, that speaks to God guarding your heart and your mind. That you're not easily shaken. And if there is a problem that I see in the church today, it is that too many people are easily shaken. We serve a God that is stronger than our feelings. We've got to stop being led around by our feelings. Amen. Now, I'm not saying stoicism. We, we don't ignore our feelings. We just let them be what they are. You feel bad in a moment, you feel bad. It's okay. Be honest about it. But does that mean you have a bad life and that God has abandoned you? Let your reasonableness 
be known to all. Serve him and he will guard your heart and mind. You will have hope. And here's the good news in all of that, okay? Because grace wins. In the end, grace wins. There is, God hasn't lost a battle yet, and he's not going to. And if we look ahead and we read in scripture, we have a, 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 a prophecy of the return of Jesus Christ, which if you really pay attention to what scripture's saying, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. As awesome as Christmas was, that first Christmas when Jesus was born and the angels announced it to shepherds, I'm really looking forward to the second one when he appears in the sky with all the flaming angels of heaven and fire and trumpets, and we get to say, ha we were right! Here he is. Oh, and by the way, I can fly now. (laughs) See, we have that promise. And either we take hope in that and we look forward and say, oh, yeah, one day, one day the conquering warrior returns. He doesn't come back as a sheep, as a lamb to be slaughtered. The next time he comes, he comes as the conquering king that will have everybody confess him as Lord. Because every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when he returns, it will happen. And those who are his will be caught up to be with him. And those who have refused him will ask the mountains to fall on them because they are so afraid and shrink back in fear. Now, are you looking forward to that? You see, because this Christmas, remember that God has given us everything necessary in life for godliness, for life and godliness. Godliness in this life and eternal life with him, all because of his grace that he gave us through Jesus Christ. We have the promise that the ending will not disappoint, that we will not be put to shame, that in the end it will all be worth it, that God's love is real and has been given to us through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, and his resurrection. So let me ask, where is your hope? Do you have peace with God? Because if you do, those promises are yours. They apply to everything, to everyone. Every government, every power, every principality, everything will bend its knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody escapes. So where is your hope today? Is it in the things of this life or in the grace of God found in Jesus? Put your faith in Jesus and you will have a hope that nobody can steal and nothing can destroy. And that is the biggest and best gift of Christmas. That we have the hope of grace. And how sure is this hope? I'm going to close with this. Listen to Romans 8, 38, 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can destroy this hope we have in Christ. Friends, that is what Christmas is about. It is about the hope that he has given us in which God stepped out of heaven, became a man, lived a perfect sinless life, 
died a sacrificial death, was resurrected on the third day, ascended to heaven, is seated at the right hand of God, and is coming again one day to judge living and the dead, of whom his kingdom will have no end. Thank you, Jesus. That's what Christmas is all about. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for today. And God, I pray for each person here. And God, I pray this Christmas, God, any who, who do not have that peace with you, that peace that passes understanding, God, I pray that you call them to yourself. Reveal yourself, God, that they would confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead and be saved. God, it's that simple that if whoever in here is lacking that hope, God, that you would call them so that they would have that hope. God, I pray you bless each family here as we celebrate this, this Christmas time. Lord, that, that families would be blessed, God, that, that fellowship time would be blessed, that travels would be safe, but God, that we would be a light in a dark world as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray together. Amen.